I'm Aria Schwartz, along with Rachel Galligan, and welcome to the Windsider Show, where it's all about the W. Today, we are honored to have Connecticut's son, head coach, Kurt Miller. show please consider joining our patreon community for less than a cup of coffee a month you can directly show support for the hard work we do covering the w today we're honored to have connecticut sun head coach kurt miller kurt welcome to the show how's it going great to be here you guys always a pleasure to join you so we're just going to hop into this uh, i don't know if, if you were if anybody was living under a rock but the WNBA draft happened a few days ago uh three as uh, as of our recording but I want to talk to you. You guys obviously didn't have a first-round draft pick. Uh, we'll get into why a little bit later. But I'm curious, as a head coach in this league, as someone who you know knows the college game quite well, talk to me about your thoughts on this draft class, kind of the strengths and the weaknesses. Because I don't think a lot of people view it from a little bit of a wider scope. They kind of just focus in on this player's amazing in this draft and this player's amazing. But from a, a wide scale, talk to us about the strengths and weaknesses. Yeah, I think it was, uh, you, you know, a very, very strong draft class. I think the top was very heavy. We knew the league was going to have some impactful players from day one. And, and really the, the top, the lottery picks, the top portion of the first round are, are going to be great players in our league. But what we were excited about was the value picks. Um, and I've said many times that you could see someone drafted late in the first round, early second round compared to maybe draft picks late in the second round. And those second round picks, late second round picks, might have a longer and more successful career than someone drafted in the first round. So I do look at the uh, the draft as deep. Uh, I thought there was a lot of value picks in there. And then uh, as draft night went on, I thought there were some surprises, at least from our per- predictions and, and draft board. And uh, we were very fortunate um, along with others. But, uh, you know, I think this draft class is fun. The hard part is uh, making a roster. It is a really, really tough time to make a roster in this league. It's like you were reading my mind, Kurt. You wanted, <laughs> you talked about surprises in this draft. And, I mean, some in the first round, some that fell way later than I anticipated. Um, you had a couple picks, at least from my opinion. New York, the New York Liberty were, were a big surprise for me. But we got to ask you, what were some of those surprises? Yeah, I think first uh, we had the first four predicted. Uh, I think that went as chalk as many people uh, predicted. Obviously, we wondered if Indiana would go Carter or take the hometown Ty Harris, uh, but they went with Cox, and so not a huge surprise. So for us, we felt like the first four picks went as chalk, and then you know Dallas was on the clock and to see what happened there. Um, the other easy pick for me, I thought I, I saw it coming. I think our staff predicted it uh, for weeks was um, Kit going 11 to Seattle. Um, you look at their roster, it looks like their roster is set, especially if Ezzy can make it over um, into the States. And so we were not surprised and actually predicted that's what Seattle would do. And so, um, you know, there were some predictable, I think, picks, um, and then there were some surprises. And and, uh, you know, for us, uh, we had two players that we graded out as top 10 or first round caliber players in Beatrice Montpremier and 
and then Kyla Charles, who we ended up fortunately being able to draft as players talented enough to go in the first round. So to see them both slip late into the second round, those were our two biggest surprises. Well, I'm curious if you could, you know, dive in on these draft picks. Charles from Maryland, you guys have a uh, long-standing relationship with employing University of Maryland Terrapins. Uh, talk to me a little bit about Charles. Yeah, we really value that she's pro-ready. She's a great athlete. She's got a pro-ready body, and it fits into how we want to play, versatility to play multiple positions. She's played four at Maryland. She's played three at Maryland, depending on their lineups. And she can do the same with us, with our versatility with Dewana Bonner, Alyssa Thomas, Jonquel Jones. There's a lot of different players that she can play with. We think she thrives in the up-tempo, obviously is great around the basket, slashing. And what I appreciate is she is a player with great touch from 15 feet and in and around the basket. It is not a player that struggles to put the ball in the hole. I think the mechanics are there. I think the knock on Kyla is that she has not attempted or made a lot of threes in her career. But I think the mechanics are there. We trust that with some hard work that she's going to be able to do that. But she's too great of an athlete, too great uh, of a pro-ready body that for someone that slipped all the way to 23, we were very, very fortunate. Okay, talk to me about Juicy, because going into, I, I am wide open about this. I'm not a huge college basketball knowledgeable person, but every year during uh, the tournament, I watch, and there's a few players that just pop out to me, and obviously we didn't have a tournament this year, but the, the year before, I was watching Juicy, and I said, I cannot wait until I get to see what she does this next year in the tournament. She's a player that I think might have, you know, hampered or gotten kind of dropped down a little bit because of the lack of tournament. But talk to me about her game, because she is just a, a wild, lights-out shooter. I mean, I love her game. Yeah, Juicy uh, was a player on a core small group, and I'm telling you, a very small group that we had hoped would be available at 23. When Kyla dropped, it was impossible to not draft her. What happened then was we realized that we were probably not going to have the opportunity to draft Juicy. Lo and behold, at 35, Juicy was still on the, on the, on the board and was, again, someone that we were very, very committed to looking at strongly at 23. So to get her at 35 was a, a really pleasant surprise. In terms of skill set, obviously her shooting gets talked about. The 14 threes in a game, her career 40% average. She doesn't always get talked about in the national statistics because she doesn't attempt or make per game some of the requirements to get on those stats. Uh, but she's a tremendous shooter. But she's also, when you really deep dive her analytics, she's very efficient off the pick and rolls, including passing. Uh, one of the more efficient players in this draft. She, her assist to turnover ratio from the wing position is outstanding. She just doesn't turn the ball over. And she doesn't have to play with the ball in her hands. And at the pro level, looking at the star players that you have around, Juicy won't have to have the ball in her hands a lot. So she can take on a role like Shakina Strickland or a Rachel Bannum playing off the ball in the pass for us and really benefit by a lot of catch-and-shoot opportunities, but she's more than that. But the interesting aspect is when you talk to the Baylor coaching staff, they don't even talk about her at the offensive end. They're bullish about her defensive ability and ability to impact the game at that end. So we think we're getting a two-way player, someone that thrives also at the defensive end and can dig in and get stops when you need it. And don't ever underestimate uh, what it's like to be a great teammate with stars around you. 
not everybody can transition into that role in the WNBA. They've been stars themselves. But when you look at who Juicy has played with through her career at Baylor, she hasn't had to have the shine on her all the time. She's never been a disruptive or drama person in the locker room. She's continued to be a great teammate, and she's played alongside of great players. In a role, if she's able to make the Sun team, she would have that type of role. So knowing she's already been a great teammate and played along other superstars was appealing to us. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, you know, and, and obviously let's not uh, make light of the fact that she's coming from such a tremendous program in Baylor of, of such a winning culture um, that, that to go along with just the, that, that, that two-way player that you talked about. But coach, you know, just switching gears here, we, we could talk about your draft picks. Um, obviously you had late second round, um, late third round pick, but really, you know, your, your draft night, your, your big news happened in free agency. Um, you know, your roster looks a lot, a little bit different now. Um, and honestly, your, your big pick, Dewana Bonner, um, that really shakes up um, this Sun roster. It, it makes you, in my opinion, extremely terrifying to think about. Uh, but talk about Bonner and just, there's, there's a lot to dive into here, into here, but talk about Bonner and that addition to your team. Yeah, I think, Rachel, it's interesting how this has all come about. Uh, obviously, going into the 2019 season, we had a choice to make, and we were getting contacted by nearly every GM in the league. Were we going to stand pat and play with all those players going into their last year of contract, or were we going to make some subtle changes going into the 19 season? We decided to push our chips in, and what that meant was we loved our chemistry. We loved our group, but we knew we would look different in 2020. There was no way around it. And so we went into that season and had a great year, and it came up just a few minutes short. Unfortunately, that game aired, game five aired right after the draft, so had to relive some of the foul trouble we got into in the third quarter and just not being able to get home those last four minutes. But I never regret for a second that we pushed the chips in. Unfortunately, we knew that 2020 was going to look different. So we were un- going to be unable to sign all the players back with eight free agents. But really excited as free agents started in February with it pushed back um, and, and with the CBA negotiations. And as it started, it became apparent very quickly that Dewana Bonner had a huge interest in us. And in just a few phone calls, realized we were the front runners for her. And it's just unprecedented. Connecticut's never been able to attract the top free agent in the offseason in, in WNBA history. And with the, with the uh, history that Amber Cox, my COO, had working in Phoenix along with Dewana, it just took on a life of its own. And, and soon, soon we found ourselves very much in the driver's seat to add one of the great players in the league, someone that's still in the prime of her career. And so very, very excited about what she adds to us on paper. When you look at Dewana at the three, our engine and, and floor uh, leader in transition in Alyssa Thomas and JJ, three, four, five, we just feel like we compete with anybody in the league. And that's not even talking about our, still our starting point guard and quarterback, Jasmine Thomas. So um, it was uh, an unbelievable opportunity to add Dewana. I'm I'm curious hearing you talk about this and the mindset you guys had knowing that 2020 was going to be so different. Um, this is a question that I I'm pretty sure I asked uh, uh, the the Phoenix Mercury when we had them on the show with Sandy. Um, are you guys bringing in players that fit into your system better or in a different way than you had in the past, or are you adjusting the system to the new players that you have? 
it's a good question. I, obviously, there's a style of play that I, I enjoy playing, but one of the things that I pride myself through my career at both the collegiate level and the pro level is putting people in position uh, to be successful and to play to their strengths. And so that that's the speed bump we have. And, and until we can get on the floor with Dewana, AT, and, and, and JJ and figure out, you know, what's going to work and what's not going to work, um, you know, we have to get through some of those speed bumps. So I'm always going to try to find the best place to put people in position to be successful. But there is a style that we want to play. Um, you know, Dewana really continues the ability to space the floor, but she's a three player that we haven't had in recent years that can attack off the dribble, can post up mismatches. So that's all new. Now we've always had the five that can stretch it in JJ. So we've been able to protect a three player that can post up. We just haven't had that type of player a lot in our system or a three player that attacks as well as DB. So we get to play a fun style. Uh, we're going to move Bria Holmes to the two guard and be able to start, you know, four players in our lineup, six one or longer, and be a really long defensive team. We still got Brianne January, the veteran leader, coming in also to provide us a two way player and, and be able to stretch it, uh, but also defend good players. So it, it's exciting on paper the versatility that we have within our lineup. Well, and you bring up a great point, um, just kind of, you really, really analyze this dynamic, you know, with JJ and now Bonner, Thomas, really a lot, you have a lot of players that are great, really going downhill at the top of the key. How do you kind of dive into that a little bit more about the spacing of just the bigs? Yeah, I'm excited because we can put shooters around them. You know, we can bring a, a KML, a, a Mosqueda Lewis off the bench and she demands, uh, attention at the arc. You've got to go out and guard her. So there's there's shooting. You know, we lose Shakina Strickland, you lose Rachel Bannum, but you add January and Mosqueda Lewis. So you lose you lose some shooters, you add some shooters. Um, you know, we we add we lose the shooting in Strickland at the three, but we add Dewana's versatility to do a little bit of everything. Um, obviously, you know, Courtney's a big loss in her ability to make big shots and one of the premier jump shooters in the game. But we feel like we've added a lot to our lineup, too. So, um, you know, we're, we're going to look a little bit different, but we're excited about the pieces. Coach, it's crazy. It's like every question I have, you're like two steps ahead of me. It's, it's, it's hilarious because I'm literally – my next question is about your shooting. And you kind of answered it, but, you know, obviously you lose Strickland. You lose one, one of the premier jump shooters in the league in Courtney Williams. You lose Bannum, who I know didn't get a ton of time with you last year. And it doesn't sound like you're too concerned about the shooting with the pieces that you've added. Um, do you feel just as confident in that? Do you just feel like it's different? Um, are, are you nervous about your shooting ability? Well, I'm really excited for Shakina Strickland. When I got there in 2015 and headed into my first season in 2016, Shakina was coming off the bench and fighting for the backup three position uh, with Kelly Ferris and really hadn't established even the backup position being hers. Four, year la four years later in a trip to the WNBA Finals, Shakina Strickland is now the highest paid player on a WNBA roster. So really, really excited for her and the work that she put in over the four years. So you, of course, lose that great shooting. But when you add January, who's led the league twice in three-point percentage, you add KML, you add a three-player in Dewana, where she probably takes too many uh, threes, five feet behind the line. If we can get her to toe the line a little bit more, her percentage is going to go up. 
but um, you know, we add, we add different things, but you know, I'm really happy. It, you know, it almost is like my college days, Rachel, where I graduated a great senior class that I had for four years together. Right. It, it's tough not to look down the bench and see Rachel and Morgan and, and Strick there any longer. Courtney, uh, those, you know, I really got to do what I wanted to do is dig in and, and build in with a core group and build over four years, which I feel like is something Connecticut hadn't done. They were always trying to hit a home run in, in a trade or, um, you know, some type of movement in the off season. So we've got that graduating senior class almost like that's now forever going to be loved by the Connecticut Sun fans. But it's a new time. It's a new group now. And I can't wait to get to work with this new group. I'm curious about that, actually. You know, we if you think about the Connecticut Sun, you think of that starting five lineup for as long as you can remember of recent history. And and obviously in this day and age, it's it's a lot harder to get everyone together and, and to get training camp going. And, and we're not going to get into the whole COVID-19 thing because uh, we really want to focus on the basketball. But are there any things that you feel, you know, maybe revitalized or you've learned from starting that or your college days that you can do for this new uh, this new starting five to kind of get the chemistry rolling before we can even even get on the court? You know, I think hunger is is a big thing and not being complacent or not settle. Uh, there was such disappointment in our second round losses in 17 or 18. We had this young, exciting team, but struggled to get by that veteran uh, top heavy group in Phoenix with, you know, Griner and Tarazi. And we got by that and we were, you know, really hungry all year in 2019 to take the next step as a team. And we did that. We get all the way to game five of the championship series. Do we come back hungry still? Do we come back um, a little bit angry that we couldn't finish it off? We truly believe we were the best team and we just didn't finish it. So there's this core group that's still with us that the leadership of Jasmine Thomas, Alyssa Thomas, John Quell Jones, the Bria Holmes. I love Natisha Heideman. You know, the players that are back, you know, Teresa Plazon, she was disappointed that her back flared up and couldn't contribute as much in the playoffs as we had hoped. You know, is this group still hungry um, and not satisfied because they took the next step? Um, stay hungry to go win a championship. It really, it really motivated us. We feel underappreciated. We felt uh, disrespected at times. I know that campaign took on a life of its own. But even now, as talented of a three, four, five, Dewana, AT, and JJ, you still see some people predicting a sixth, seventh, even eighth place in this league. So I hope that motivates the group that we still have a lot to prove. We still have some doubters out there. Um, and so I, I hope that they're as hungry as they've ever been. It's just a little bit harder to tell with us all separated. Well, you, you were talking about that next step, which leads perfectly to uh, my next question. What is the next step for JJ? Because she has, for the past few years, I think, if anybody hasn't talked about her in an up-and-coming of the next superstar of this league type position, then they'd be fooling themselves. But I'm curious, kind of two-part, what is the next step for her and what does that look like for this team? You know, certainly to play through her even more. She showed the dominance in, in our game two win at Washington in the championship series, going over 30 and crazy amounts of rebound. And even in game five with some foul trouble, and she sat a lot of the third quarter when we had some momentum and a, and a, a sizable uh, lead. Um, 
you know, she, she showed in game five that she could really carry a team when maybe the guards had a little bit of an off night shooting. So we've got to play through her. The, the interesting aspect is it's hard not to have the ball in AT's hands because she's such a great facilitator. She makes everybody better on the court, but we've got to get touches. And you see it, you know, through the years since I've been in the league, when things in Phoenix start to get away from them, they make a concerted effort, slow down, play through Griner. When Minnesota struggles, even with all their outstanding players, they slow down and get a touch for Sylvia. JJ's different. She can get touches on the outside, then the inside, then some of those great centers in the league. We just got to get her touches. And sometimes AT is such a great facilitator. Alyssa Thomas is so dynamic at making everybody better that we play through her. And at times we can go multiple possessions in a row without JJ touching the ball. We've got to get her touches. She's got to demand it. That's the next growth in her game. You saw what she did defensively in her growth, going from a pedestrian defender to an all WNBA defender. So I just know that she's just going to become more and more comfortable. She wants that role. She wants to be our leader. She wants the ball. So I look forward to watching her just, you know, under contract for a multi-year more with a son. I just look for her to just continue to become more and more dominant. You know, you talk about getting touches, and it's hard to uh, ignore the other addition or another one of the additions you made this offseason. That was in really veteran guard, Brianne January. And I love January's game. I think she's such a, a poise leader on the floor. But I'm curious your thoughts as to what does she bring to the team and what made her appealing to sign for you guys? Yeah, obviously, when negotiations were breaking down, uh, it was uh, something that became an option for us and we got excited about uh right off the bat she brings a championship pedigree she's great in the locker room there's a maturity about her at this point in her career it's all about winning um and she was really interested the interesting thing that happened and, and people will deny this around the league but there was multiple really really talented players that reached out through our players or reached out and wanted to join the Sun in the offseason. Unfortunately, a lot of them were under contract, and we had very few people under contract, so we didn't have a, a lot of trade material. But the interest in joining the Sun in the offseason was incredible by some big names in this league. January was one of them, and uh, and we were excited that she had an interest in joining us. So, um, you know, she, that maturity, that championship pedigree, she immediately brings to our locker room. But she adds to the versatility. She can play point guard and can play with the ball in her hands, but she can equally play off the ball because she's such a great catch-and-shoot person at the offensive end. Again, defensively, she can be a pest. And when you have the versatility of Jasmine Thomas, who's a big point guard, they can be on the floor together. Um, and you know now you can move Jazz off the ball at times and maybe steal a minute to more before you have to sub her out because – you have another secondary ball handler. We didn't have a, another secondary ball handler in the past. That's why we always had to go through AT. Um, and then I just think Natisha Heideman has a great future too. So her versatility to be a great shooter can play alongside Brian January. So again, a roster that more than likely starts the year at 11. And I think there's four of us. That's probably not talked about enough around the league. There's probably four teams in the league that have to start with 11 this year. We'll play with 11 early in the season before we add a 12th for the remainder of the se uh, season. Our versatility of players playing multiple positions are really important. 
I'm curious, uh, hearing you talk about, you know, kind of the, the power structure of this league and, and, and seeing that you do have your eyes wide on the whole league, um, I'm curious in your eyes, with all the roster shifts that we've had, with players going from here to there and all over, in your mind, kind of who are, what is the top tier? Who are the teams that are in the top tier of competition uh, for the WNBA Finals this season? Well, the easy way to answer that is that everybody's really, really good. And I think a lot of people, uh, it's hard pressed not to say that almost every team is better. With it said, I think one caveat is if we're fortunate to have a season and when we get started, uh, the big caveat is, is which international and which foreign players can make it here. And I think that will shape the league more than people realize. If there's outstanding international players that can't come over this year, it changes teams' rosters. It changes, uh, you know, teams' outlook on the season. So I think first and foremost, you know, hopefully we have a season. But then, you know, which international kids can make it? Which international players will play this year? Um, so it's really hard to predict. But I think it's hard pressed to not believe that everyone got a little bit better. Um, and and some of the players that were out last year with injuries are now back. So. Uh, it would, it will, and hopefully, you know, will happen. It should be an amazing season with tons and tons of talent. So I'm taking the easy way out and not mentioning a couple teams, but, um, I really think our league is improved. Coach, one more question before we let you go. Um, you know, draft night was virtual. Um, I, I know I'm pretty sure you're at home in Indiana. How has it been for you these last, you know, this last month, month and a half, um, being at home and what was it like with the virtual draft? Um, I know you've, you've got your dogs keeping you company, but what are you up to? Like, you know, fill us in on kind of what your life has looked like. Yeah, I've enjoyed being back with my son in Indiana. He's a senior at IU and, and finishing up online. So he's one of these seniors uh, that is having a different type of last semester. But enjoy being home with him and our, and our dogs in the off-season home in Bloomington. But um the virtual draft went off as well as, you know, can be expected. I thought the WNBA leadership did a fantastic job. Some people called us guinea pigs uh, to be the first uh, virtual draft and league. I think we were the trailblazers and obviously, you know, nothing's perfect, but uh, I think it went really well. I was tremendously nervous, not being great with technology and having my son on call in case something went wrong. But um, you know, most of my, all my three assistants are in Connecticut. Obviously, my COO, Amber, is in Connecticut. So they were all back in Connecticut, not together, but separate. Um, and proud for the fact, and, and people don't realize this probably, but Brandy made our picks on draft night. She's been a lawyer, loyal soldier and assistant coach starting our 16th year together. Uh, there's not a better human in the game, as you know, Rachel, and and just, you know, was a proud, proud head coach watching her call in the picks, knowing that I hired her back in the day with little experience, but had some in the ABL. So to see her come full circle and getting a start when she was really young in the ABL and now literally calling the draft picks out on draft night for a WNBA team, I'm you know, really, really proud to be working alongside of Brandy and, and uh, she's just tremendous, but I'm trying to stay, you know, busy, um, do my part in model social distancing. I haven't been in a store in probably over a month, uh, let my son do the grocery shopping. And, um, while I'm out trying to get some exercise around the neighborhood, I'm, I'm doing my part and, uh, 
and uh, trying to stay in the house as much as possible. Well, coach, we're super appreciative of your time. I know uh, it's a it's a wild time and you got a lot to do with your new roster. So thank you so much for joining us and hopefully we'll have you again soon. Appreciate you guys and what you do for our game. Thank you very much.